Wonderful. Well, you can give your Bibles just find Judges 3. We're not going to get there yet, but that's where we'll be. Like them rhymes. Um, yeah. We're going to do a little bit of a different series than we've been doing. We're doing the Discipleship Project stuff, and uh, I get tired of things. So. Anyways, we're going to... Uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible... I don't know if you're supposed to have favorites, but one of my favorites is uh, the book of Judges. You can sit down if you want. Um, it's the book of Judges uh, because, to be honest, I like stories. I like action stories. Uh, there's some people that love all that law stuff or the prophecy. You know, some people, that's their thing. All they read is Daniel and Revelation. Some people, uh, you know, like the law and all that. Uh, I've got a short attention span, <laughs> believe it or not, and I've always just kind of been attracted to the stories. Even now, I'd rather read um, fiction, story, or, you know, like a, a missionary book or something that there's something happening than um, a textbook type type of thing. And I know I'm supposed to love that, um, dry information, because I'm a preacher and preachers are boring people. But uh, that's not where I'm at. I'm not saying that, you know, I don't like the other stuff. You know, we're not supposed to have favorites, but whatever. The Book of Judges, one of my favorite books. It's, um, it's a collection of stories of the different judges of Israel. But it's not just the story about the judges, the, the men and the women um, that judged Israel. It's also a story of God's relationship with the nation of Israel, and a lot of it applies to us, to the church today. And there, you know, there are other judges that aren't in the book of Judges. Moses, secondly, a judge. Joshua, there were some others afterwards. Samuel, uh, some others after that. And I'm just going to focus for the next little bit. We're going to focus on the book of Judges and the judges in the book. Focus on their stories, why they were used, um, how they were used, and um, you know, what they were used to do and how we can apply some of these principles to our lives. But also remember, this is a big story of God's love for his people. He, it's a, a story of God answering the cry of his, his people. It's a story of God's redemption over and over. There are 13 judges listed. There's 12 that are good, one not so much. And the book it takes place and it tells the story between the time when Joshua dies and Samuel comes on the scene. So the time period when Israel didn't have a king. So the, the in-between period when they're trying to set up as a nation to when they have um, their first king. And as you read through it, if you read through the book of Judges, you'll notice the theme. Uh, Israel, they will live for God for a while and then they just get tired of it. And then they stop living for God. Then Israel becomes oppressed by an enemy, different ones every time. And then Israel takes a while, but they cry out to God. God raises up a judge. God delivers them. And Israel lives for God for a while. And then they stop for a while. And they cry out to God over and over, 12 times or so. And we can look at 
the nation of Israel, we can say, well, they're really dumb. Why would they, why would they do that? But we, we see people today still doing it. You know, and we have God's spirit in us. We're supposed to. Sometimes. And we got no problem just up and down, all around. We'll live for God this week and then take a few weeks off and then come back because bad things happen and cry out to God, you know. So it's easy to look at other people and say, why do you do it when we do it also? But So the first couple of chapters of the book of Judges are kind of like a, a prologue or an introduction to let us know what's going to happen, how this is all going to go down, the cycle of Israel, going through this. And then in chapter 3, we come to our first judge. Um, not like a judge, you know, you're going to court, um, but a judge as in a leader, the highest voice in the land, a prime minister of sorts, or a president or whatever before there were elections. God would raise up a man and he would lead the country. So the first man that we, we meet that does this, his name is Othniel, the ever popular Othniel. Have you ever heard of him before? Brenda has. That's a good percentage. <laughs> so we'll start there. Judges 3. I thought we'd do this because as a child, you never hear these stories. So now they're going to hear them. So Judges 3, verse 1 to 6. I'm going to read it in the New King James again. Um, but it's pretty much the same. Just follow along whatever you have. It says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he may test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught how to war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines and the Canaanites and the Sidonites and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal, Hermon, uh, to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he may test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Everyone was an Ike back then. Now we're all Ans. Canadian, American, British. <laughs> that doesn't work. Well, they're all Ites. So, and verse 6 says, And they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. Good job, Israel. So why did God leave these enemies around? You know, he'd given them this promised land. He said, I'm going to give you this land. You're going to go and you're going to live on it. And, you know, why did God leave these enemies around? Why didn't he just wipe them out? Israel was supposed to do that when they got there. They're supposed to kick everyone out. supposed to kill them all and take the land and whatever. But they didn't. They gave up because it was... It was too much of a challenge, and I just can't even right now. They just couldn't do it. They just didn't want to do it. They were tired. They've been walking for a while. They've been fighting for a while. And they just decided they were going to be good neighbors with the nations around them. They were just going to live amongst them, and everything was going to be fine. And it didn't work, which is why we have this book. Um, you can't not do something just because it's hard. In fact, um, most anything worth doing is going to be hard. But Israel didn't want to, they were just tired of fighting. So they just kind of camped down and said, you know, we'll leave these guys, we'll let them be. They made some deals with some of them and whatever. And it didn't work out as we read, we'll see as we read this book. So verse 1 and 2, this is why God left them. 
It says, Now these are the nations which the Lord's left. They may test Israel by them. And that is, all who had not known any wars in Canaan. So the people of Israel who had never been to war. This was only so that the generation of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. So God left these enemies around Israel so that the people of Israel would learn how to fight. What? He left the enemies so that the next generation would know how to go to war. Think about that. How often do we pray for God just to take away all of our problems or enemies as we call them? Right? But maybe he doesn't because he wants us to learn how to fight. He wants us to learn how to go to war. Now, we know now we don't physically fight. You know, we fight spiritually. Ephesians 6 and 12 says he wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We fight in prayer now. We fight spiritually now, maybe that enemy of yours is the only reason you know how to pray. He left those enemies so that they would learn how to fight. Maybe that enemy, that thing you're praying against, is really the only reason why you go to God in the first place. Maybe that sickness is the only reason why you are even praying right now. We don't want to say that, but sometimes... We wouldn't pray if anything didn't go wrong. It would be, would it be nice if everything was easy and peaceful all the time? Yes. Yes, it would. But does anyone grow stronger without an opposition? No. You learn how to fight in battle. You can train all day long, but the battle is different. You get wiser, smarter, tougher. You grow in the battle. Paul talked about having a thorn in his flesh, something that he dealt with on a daily basis that he wanted God to take away, but God didn't because it was helping him grow. It was helping him be stronger and to rely on God, to rely on his strength. And the stronger God is in our lives, the stronger we are. God left the enemies to prove Israel. He left the enemies to teach them how to fight. He could have wiped them all out if he wanted he left them there so that Israel would learn how to fight. And that's pretty incredible. It goes against how we think. We think, you know, if God loves me, then he won't let anything bad ever happen to me. And I'll never be attacked. And I'll never get sick. And these bad things will never happen. But it's often quite the opposite. You read through the Bible and you see people of God attacked and, and killed and betrayed and abused and die and fail and all kinds of stuff happens. He loves you, so he will never leave you or forsake you. And he loves you so that he will walk with you through the valley and he will fight for you in the battle, but you're still going to have to go to the battle. He's not just going to take everything away and make it all easy. Nobody grows that way. He's interested in our growth. Judges 3 and 4 says that they were left that he may test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord which he had commanded their fathers 
by the hand of Moses. So all the law, all the, all the books of um, the law of Moses, he left these people to see whether or not they would listen to him and the law that he had given Moses or if they're going to do something else. He left them, it says, to test Israel also. It isn't love or obedience if there are no other options. You're the love of my life, also the only woman left alive, so <laughs> I didn't have any options. I don't know if Adam and Eve really loved each other. They didn't have any choices. There weren't any options. An apple falling from a tree isn't loving or obeying out of its own, or isn't falling or obeying out of its own free will because gravity gave it no other choice. It just it had to happen. It didn't decide, you know, maybe I'll fall, maybe I won't. It was forced to. God left these other nations to test Israel. Like he put the tree of the knowledge of, the good, of good and evil in the Garden of Eden to test Adam and Eve. Some people and some things remain in our lives as a test. And it would be nice if they were gone, but we've got to pass the test first. He left them to test Israel. Verse uh, 5 to 7. Um, it says, Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their, their daughters to their sons and they served their gods. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. Israel did not pass that test. God left the people there to test them, and they failed the test. They married the people around them. They gave their children to them, and they served their gods. Verse 7 says they forgot the Lord their God. You know how when um, you do something wrong, and somebody calls you out on it, and you go, oh, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> right? I forgot. My children do it all the time. I forgot that you told me not to do that thing 10 seconds ago. I forgot. But you didn't really forget. I know. You just kind of ignored it. You just kind of pushed it out of your, your mind. It says they forgot the Lord their God. I don't think um, Israel forgot God. Like It just kind of slipped their mind that, oh, God, oh, there was, I don't think they just, it slipped their mind. They forcefully ignored him. They deliberately pushed him from their minds and turned their worship to something else. It wasn't an accident, like, oops, I forgot about you, God, sorry. They deliberately pushed him out of their minds. They were preoccupied with something else so much that they gave no thought to God. Verse 7 in the CEV version says, The Israelites sinned against the Lord by forgetting Him and worshiping idols of Baal and Astarte. Ooh, fancy. Their sin was forgetting. They sinned because they forgot. They sinned by forgetting. Their sin was forgetting and worshiping other gods. But it started with, Forgetting. When God is no longer a priority in our lives, 
And that's when sin creeps in. When obedience is no longer something that we strive for, that's where sin comes in. When we stop focusing on God and serving Him, that's when we start worshiping something else. Baal was the nature god of wind and rain and harvest and fertility, and Astarte was the goddess of fertility, sex, and war. Um, she was the Greek. Um, Aphrodite would be her Greek equivalent, more familiar with that. But these two represent just about everything important to the people of the world back then. When we turn from God and we turn to false idols and things of the world for what we need, then we're going to be in trouble. And so God had had enough. So you know what? Forget me. All right. Have it your way. Verse 8 says, Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served that guy eight years. I practiced, and then I just couldn't get it. I want to get up here. It's different up here. So Israel forgot God, and God got angry. It's not like he delivered them from Egypt or anything. It wasn't like he just gave them this promised land that they were living on, right? It wasn't like he had done all that stuff, except that he did. And so he allowed them to be conquered by, we're going to call him Cushion. <laughs> this is a very intimidating <laughs> name. Here comes Cushion. But they served King Cushion. Rishathaim, there we go. They served him for eight years. And then they did what anyone does when they're in trouble. They cried out to God. It took eight years, though. Other times it'll take longer. This one's pretty quick. But eight years seems a bit of a, bit of a long time. Hopefully it doesn't take us that long to cry out to God. So eight years. And then they cry out to God and in enters the hero of the day. Verse 9 says, When Israel, sorry, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them, Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. So, even though Israel had forgotten about God for eight years, when they cried out to him, he answered. All it took was them calling out to him and he answered. They cried out and he answered. Even though it had been eight years, even though they had forgotten about him, even though they turned their backs on him, they're worshiping these two other idols, even though they walked away, as soon as they called out to God, he answered. Every time, all we need to do is to call out to him and turn to him. Even if it's been a while, even if it's been eight years or 40 years or three weeks or whatever, it's been a while. It doesn't matter. Call out to God and He will answer. That is the message of this whole book. Call out to God and He will answer. That's how much He loves His people. You know, us, you haven't talked to me in eight years. Get out of here. Leave me alone. My dad disappeared, came back in my life. I was like, hey, want to hang out? I was like, no, I don't. You left. Where have you been? And then I want to convince you otherwise. But that's how we are. Someone doesn't talk to us for eight years, then they come, hey, you want, I need something. Get out of here. But every time Israel calls out to him, he answers. 
That's how much he loves his people. And God raised up a man named Othniel. His story's a bit short. This is why I've taken so long as in an introduction. Verse 11, or 10 to 11 says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathium, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathium. So the land had rest for 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Canaan, died. Man, they put that guy's name in there enough times. Four times in two verses. Calm down. This passage, <laughs> um, yeah, talks about Othniel. It says he's related to Caleb. He was Caleb's nephew. He was a son of um, Kenaz, Caleb's brother. Some people argue maybe um, he was Caleb's brother and Kenaz was, he had a different father or something, but more likely he's Caleb's nephew. And um, the first time we actually meet Othniel isn't in chapter 3, it's in chapter 1. There's a short story here, verses 12 to 13. It says, Caleb said, Whoever attacks um, Kirjath, suffer, and takes it, I will, to him will I give my daughter Aksa as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So he gave him his daughter Aksa as wife. The first time we see this guy, Caleb has offered his daughter in marriage to whoever conquers this city of um, Kirjath Sefer. And here comes Othniel, who's Caleb's nephew. And he conquers a city. And so he marries uh, Caleb's daughter. And yeah, that's frowned upon now, but back then it wasn't. Don't judge the man. He was a judge. So <laughs> he would have been Caleb's nephew slash son-in-law. And you guys remember Caleb, right? When Moses said of the 12 spies, only two believed that they could take it, Joshua and Caleb. We hear about Joshua all the time. You know, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and he marched around. He did all that stuff, and eventually Joshua took over, and he led Israel into the promised land and all that. But Caleb was still around, too. Caleb was still there. Caleb was one of the ones, one of the two, who stood for truth who stood for God, and it impacted his family. I don't think it's a coincidence that the first judge after Joshua was connected to Caleb. When we take a stand for truth, it impacts our family. It influences them. It may not be immediately. It may be years down the road. It may be after we're long gone. But when we stand for truth, when we stand for God, it will impact our family. So finally... Oh, I'm getting to the main point. <laughs> 20 minutes later. God used a man named Othniel to turn Israel back after an eight-year relapse. Why? There's three things about Othniel. The first thing, kids, if you got your page with the three things, this is it. The first thing, he was available the second, he had the Spirit of God. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The third thing is God promoted him. It says the Lord raised up a deliverer. This wasn't the first time that God had done something incredible through Othniel either. Don't forget, he had taken a city 
earlier, but these three reasons are why God used him. First, he was available. One of the biggest prerequisites to being used by God is simply being available. In the book of Isaiah, God and Isaiah are having a conversation. And in verse 6 and 8, it goes like this. It says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. God is looking for people to send. He's looking for people who are available. Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. And then he lived the rest of his life doing incredible things for God. Nehemiah said, send me back to Israel so I can rebuild the city. Elisha said, give me a double portion. Use me. The disciples gave their lives. God is looking for people who are available and willing. Who will Go. Othniel was just simply available. He didn't say, I don't have time to do this. I'm too busy doing something else. He was available. And God is still looking for available people, ones who are willing to go to another country, to another town, to another house, ones who are willing to get up early and pray and intercede for his kingdom, ones who are willing to fast, ones who are willing to work and to serve. Jesus said in Luke 10 and 12 and verse 2, sorry, it says the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He's looking for people who are available and willing to go and he wants to use you. He wants to use us. He wants to do a work through us, but he needs us to be available. And we say, I can't do that. I don't got time to do that. That's, you're not going to be used. We can't be too busy. We can't have excuses. We can't reason it away. We need to be available and let God use us. So he was available. And the second thing, he had the spirit. It says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. The spirit of the Lord came on him and that's how he got the victory. And we are never going to have a victory. We are never going to be used. We are never going to impact the kingdom of God without the Spirit of God. Without the Holy Spirit working in us and leading us and guiding us and ministering through us, it ain't going to happen. We'll just be singing and talking and hanging out and that's it. The Bible says the Spirit helps us when we pray. Romans 8 and 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We need the Spirit to pray effectively. We need the Spirit to pray with power. The Spirit tells us what to say. Luke 12 and 12. Jesus said, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is when he sent his disciples out. The Holy Ghost, the Spirit is going to teach you what you need to say. He teaches us how to pray. teaches us what to say. He gives us power. Acts 1 and 8, we know this one. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the other most parts of the earth. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The Spirit gives us power. 
And we're supposed to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 and 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So I think it's safe to say we need the Spirit. Othniel is available. He had the Spirit. That's when he rose up. He didn't rise up and say, okay, hopefully God will join me and we'll get this done. The Spirit of the Lord came on him and then he was used. If we want to do anything effective for the kingdom of God, we need to have His Spirit in us. We need to allow His Spirit to move through us and work in us if we're going to be effective for His kingdom. And the third thing is God promoted him. This is the main thing. If God's going to use you, He's going to use you. He will promote. He will put you where you need to be. We talked about um, the blessed man in Psalm 1. Being like a tree planted by the rivers of water. God put him there. He planted him there. If God's going to use you, he's going to use you, and he's going to put you where he wants you to be. There's a whole lot of politics going on. I'm almost done, but there's a whole lot of politics going on in, in church. I know we don't want to admit it. In ministry, people trying to get the upper hand, people schmoozing, being friends with whoever is going to help them climb the ladder, you know, uh, acting one way with one person, another with another, you know, trying to play the system. The fancy word we use now is networking. Get those connections so you can climb up, you know, whatever. All this nonsense. I'm not good at it. I know, hard to believe. When people are trying to, I don't know, make it to the top, whatever that means, I don't know what the top is. Jesus is the top, so good luck with that. But if God is going to use you, and if God wants to use you, He's going to be the one that promotes you. The problem comes when we just find people we like and we promote them when they're not ready, and that's when we see people fall. But if we allow God to promote and God to put in the place who He wants to be in place, it'll be okay. If God's going to use you, if He wants to use you, He will promote you. Don't you worry about what others think, what higher-ups think, or whatever. They're not God. God's the one that's in control. They didn't get together and vote for Othniel. They didn't say, hey, who do you think would be the best leader? God was like, hey, this guy. And used him. God chose him. God called him. Israel didn't choose um, Othniel. Israel didn't choose Caleb or Joshua. God did. Maybe they would have picked someone else instead of Othniel. But God chose him and God used him. Stay close to him and he will use you also, I hope that made sense. Just kind of ended abruptly. I don't know. You want to play something? Or? No? Okay. Let's all stand. Often it's a short story, but there's three things we can learn from it. One, we need to be available. The second, we need the Spirit of the Lord in our lives. And the third thing, we need to let God promote us. We get frustrated when we try to do it on our own and we try to force our selves in the places where we feel like we should be or we want God to open a door or we try to force a door open and all this stuff. Just let God work. Let His Spirit work and be available. And God can use us. Let's pray together that God would help us um, to adapt these three things in our, in our lives. Jesus, 
Hallelujah. God, I thank you for these stories in the book of Judges. God, I thank you for the example of Othniel. God, I pray in your name you would help each and every one of us here, God, to be available to you. When you want to use someone, when you're trying to call someone, I pray we would have a voice like Isaiah and say, here am I, send me in Jesus' name, God, I pray we would be available. God, I pray that we would have your spirit working effectively in our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. God, let your spirit lead us. God, let your spirit guide us and direct us and use us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And God, help us to trust you to put us where you want us to be. God, to promote us, to place us where you want us in your kingdom, I pray, in the name of Jesus. God, don't let us get frustrated when we try to you know, we feel like we should be here and we're not there yet. God, I pray, help us to trust you where you're leading us. I pray in Jesus' name. God, use us for your kingdom, I pray. Let your will be done, I pray, in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that made sense. That's the story of Austin. You know, I'm going to drag it out a bit. It's only got a couple verses. The other guy had more mentions. <laughs>